But as God was speaking to me, speaking into my heart and into my life, he then was speaking about the church. And by the church this morning, I don't just mean Faith Life Church, although this is where we are, so um, I'm going to speak. So most of the things is just about the body of Christ and what's on his heart. And a lot of people have prophesied about 2017, so I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to pretend to be one or prophesy, but... I um, God started sharing some things with me to so say, yes, Joyce, the voices that are coming through from people that you know and respect is actually true because this 2017 is going to be the year of the overcomers. Amen? That we are going to overcome this year for those who trust in him and those who will, who are prepared to surrender everything to him, surrendering our hearts, Surrendering everything that we, we even think we hold there in our hearts to Him, that He will, that we will be um, overcomers this 2017. Amen. So I received that, and um, but and then He said, Joyce, in order for you to be an overcomer this 2017, you need to position yourself. And Mark is be teaching on grace. When God started sharing this, what I'm thinking, God, where does this sit in with what Mark has been preaching about? We're talking about grace, you know, we are saved by grace alone, um, and, uh, you know, um, by, we are saved by grace through faith, and not in ourselves, not in anything that we can do. But when God started talking to me about these things, and I'm saying, okay, God, I need you to really show me how this sitting with uh, grace, because often when we hear the message of grace, we just hear those few lines that we don't have to do anything because Jesus has done everything for us, which is absolutely true. Can't add to that, can't take away. But there are some things that we can do to position our hearts. There are things that we can do to put ourselves in that place where we can enjoy the salvation of the Lord. So today I'm not really here to preach because God hasn't asked me to preach. He hasn't gone, but I think I feel like I'm here on an assignment. Does that make sense? I think I'm here on an assignment and he's walked me through this and, and it's so funny that I never actually preach anything that I've not already walked through. So when I'm speaking, when I say you today, I'm talking about us, including me. I just that I've been uh, a little bit further ahead. So as I started seeking God about what is on his heart, when he told me he didn't want me to talk about prayer, he started sharing some stuff with me about the body of Christ, about how... There's absolutely no difference between us and the people of the world. How we act exactly the same. We react exactly the same to situations. We talk the same. We walk the same. We dress the same. He said, there has to be something that separates us from the world. And Jesus says something in the Bible. And he said, by this particular thing, people will know that you are my children and you belong to me. And he started talking to me about separating ourselves from the world. Not, not by not being part of the world or don't go to work, to, to work or do anything. But to separate ourselves in the things that we do, in the way we interact, and the way 
we, 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 we um, form relationships. And then he started talking to me about where I was in terms of the things of the heart. And Mark, again, nicked my title because it was supposed to be issues of the heart. <laughs> and <laughs> so, um, but, you know, like, you know, things in our hearts. He started speaking to me about things in my heart. And I called them sins of the heart. And these are the words that we don't like to use in church. Because when we hear the word sin, suddenly we don't, you know, we don't like it. Uh, we, we turn off because we think we are, uh, the person speaking is going to be judgmental, is going to be critical. But the Bible clearly said there are things, if things are not of God, then they are against God, right? And anything that is against God is evil. So if I say to somebody who, who is angry and swearing and being, you know, uh, or uh, backbiting, being taken offense, if I say you are evil... They will say, you are so critical and judgmental because I live under the grace. But I want to tell you something that sins matter to God. The sins in your heart matter to God. The way you live your life matters to God. The things you do with your life matters to God. Why? Because God loves you so passionately that he cares about everything you do. Why? Because the things you do, when you, are in, when you live in sin, it's destructive. It destroys you. And not just you, it destroys those around you. And as I went along, um, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I've asked Phil to play today because I think this is not really going to be a message that tickles our ears. So we really need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. <laughs> to, um, you know, make it easy for us to open our hearts. That's why, that's why I first prayed to ask God for understanding of what he's sharing. Because really what I'm sharing is not of me. Um, I've had time to cry. Maybe at some point you will have time to cry. And that's why there's communion there today. And the Holy Spirit said there needs to be communion after it. So, and he will tell me how to do it. So I'm still waiting on him. So God started showing me about how costly sin is. And the things that we need to do to really put ourselves in a place where God's hand can be upon our lives. Where he can honor his promises for our lives. To put ourselves in a position where whatever it is that is coming our way, God can, you know, just say, you know what? You can't touch that one because he is holy mine and she is holy mine. And two weeks, two weeks ago, I think two weekends ago, God really showed me this in a practical way. Why he really hates sin. And by this sin, I thought he was going to be talking about adultery in the church, you know, murder in the church, fornication in the church, because those are what we consider to be big sins, right? In the body of Christ. And if you see somebody committing adultery, you can say, hey, brother, don't do that. Or sister, don't. You know, the things that we can see, we consider those to be the sins that are quote unquote important. But God started talking to me about, 
you know, secret sins, sins of the heart, the things that we just do, you know, even as a matter of course, maybe some of you have done it this week. I certainly have, and I've repented. And he's saying that this, those sins are costly, and they are poisoning his body. And it was just funny that our dog, <laughs> I went to have coffee with a dear friend just across Costa Coffee on top of the road one Friday. And let's took Catherine to a Japanese lesson. And our dog was left alone in the house. And Les was cooking, bless him. And because I was fasting, I didn't want to be cooking because I didn't want to smell the food. So he was cooking. He's been cooking since December. <laughs> and so he left a big piece of steak on our work surface. Can't tell where this story is going. So when I came back from having coffee, and, um, and I went to have coffee, by the way, trying to sort my heart out. And so when I came back, and then um, I saw this uh, polystyrene thing in Jesse's um, sleeping basket, I thought, oh, I just took it. I threw it away. I thought, I wonder if Les left any meat out. When Les came, I said, did you leave um, any meat? She said, yes, where is it? She hasn't eaten it, has she? Yes, just ate the whole lot. I think she just rushed it, I think, as I was coming in. Because when I came in, she was looking very sheepish in her basket. But I was happy for her. And I thought, oh, bless you. Oh, you've eaten this day because we don't give, often give her steak to eat. And Kemi came home and I said, oh, Jess, she said, oh, Booba, did you eat the steak? You know. But the story is going somewhere. Jess couldn't sleep. She was crying. She was uncomfortable. And then now we're thinking, oh, wonder what's wrong with her? Oh, did she want to go out? She cried. If I we didn't sleep. Uh, by then, we rang the uh, vet emergency line. Took Jess there. Cost us 161 pounds just for them to tell us she's a bit constipated. And, <laughs> and then the following day, we thought, oh, she still doesn't look right. Oh, what should we do? Took her back to the vet. 60 pounds later, she's just constipated. But Jess didn't sleep, neither did we. So as I was sitting in the um, kitchen, family sitting area, just stroking her and everything, and then the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me. He said, Joyce, sin is costly. It's costly not just to the person committing the sin, but it's costly to those around them. And I started, he just, just started speaking to me about my dog and how she actually ate the steak. I was actually already in the drive when she rushed to eat the steak so I wouldn't catch her in the act. <laughs> but we as a family, we had a weekend, sleepless night, spending money that we could have done without spending because she ate the steak and fed that it was her right to eat it because it was on the work surface there just waiting for her to eat. And the Holy Spirit said to me that just because you can do something, just because you have the freedom to do something, does not necessarily mean you have to do it. And so after this weekend, when uh, Mark took the preach and Patricia took the preach, I said, God, you got to show me something else because he's saying that this, this, this sin, these things that we do is so vast, the issues of the heart, that we cannot preach it every Sunday for a year and 10 years 
and we'll still be preaching about them. But God showed me something that I've never seen before in, in, the, in the book of Gideon. We all know the story of Gideon, how the enemy was against them and then he has to go and hide, you know, to prepare, uh, um, um, what is it, anyway, for his family, hiding from the Midianites. And while he was there, an angel came to me, really called forth his destiny, called him a mighty man, a valor, whereas he was thinking he was the lowest of the lowest, he was the least in his father's household. But let's pick up the story from um, verse 23. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. This is to Gideon. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophra, I don't know if I pronounced that right, of the Abians' right. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the young bull of seven, seven years, and tear down the altar of Bay that, that your father has, and call down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a bone sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much, too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon destroys the altar of Baal. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second wood was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. Because he has torn down the altar of Bay, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him. Because he has told us his altar. When I read this passage, something jumped at me, and God said to me, Joyce, to, uh, this is just yesterday. He said, Tomorrow, I want you to speak about tearing down the altars of our hearts. We don't realize what we do. We don't realize the things we say. We don't realize how our actions actually contribute to hardening our hearts to God. And those things, which I'm going to mention, because it just there are a whole list of things, but it just gave me about three or four to concentrate on. That our hearts... The reason when Patricia was talking about hearing God and the reason that we sometimes struggle to hear him 
sometimes we struggle to hear what he's saying and what he's trying to communicate to us. And some of us, some of us has even gone as far as not being convicted anymore by the Holy Spirit when we do things that are contrary to God's words. And he's telling me the reason why we are deaf, the reason why we cannot see, the reason why we cannot hear or understand is because we build altars in our hearts. And we take our offering and sacrifices to those altars and worship there. Because the Bible clearly tells us that we are the temple of the living God. And if we are the temple of the living God, it means our heart is the altar of his worship. Do you agree? So the things that we place in the altar, the things that we, we place on our altar to God, matter. What we place on our heart, what we worship in our heart, matters to God. We don't think, we don't call them worship. They are just part of our character traits, which the grace covers. And, you know, and um, so I can, I can do this. Yeah, I have the grace. The grace covered it. You know, one big thing that Paul says, you know, he said, grace is not actually a cover-up for sin. Grace is an enabler. It's the power for us to walk holy. You say, I'm struggling with this area of my life, but I know his grace is sufficient for me to be able to resist and to say no. That's what grace, that's what true grace is. True grace makes us powerful Christians. True grace makes us free. True grace saying, I am not bound. I cannot be bound. I will not be bound because he has poured out his grace, which has enabled me to overcome. Amen. Holy Spirit, help me. So God started telling me about Joyce. The church. The body of Christ. Had built altars in their heart. To worship but those altars are not for my sacrifices. We build the altars in our hearts to worship the enemy. I don't even want to use his name. Because when we build an altar, when we worship things in our hearts that are not God's, then we are truly worshipping Satan. There's no two ways about it. There's heaven, there's hell, there's God, and there's Satan. If what you are doing is not pleasing to God, guess who is pleasing? We don't like to talk about these things. And I don't like to talk about it because I love grace. You know, I, I just love the easy message of saying, you know what, we are all we are all on the journey, which we are. This is not condemnation. This is grace in its full meaning. That God is saying, Hey, I want to take you to a higher place. 
I want to draw you into my heart. I want to take you, I want to, I want to pull out that destiny because when I created you, I created you for a purpose. I want you to walk in your destiny. I want you to walk in your purpose. I want to raise you up. This is what this is about. Because what he said, he said, I correct those I love. Those are the word of God. Aren't you happy that you are loved by God? Aren't you happy that you are his children? Aren't you happy that God will not leave you to rot in the place that you are in? I was certainly grateful when he started talking to me about my heart. Because I went into this and said, God, you know, most of the biggest decisions I've made in my life, I got through dreams. But I stopped dreaming. And I'm saying, God, why have I stopped dreaming? Why don't I remember my dreams? Why, what is it that, that you know, I can, I can hear in my sleep? And he said, Joyce, because <laughs> your heart is not entirely opened to me. And until you get rid of those junks in your heart, I'm constantly speaking. I'm constantly coming to you in your dream. The reason you can't remember the dream is because your heart is blocked up. So I said, I said, God, you know, anything in my heart, I want to get rid of. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 said, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, laying aside getting it out of your heart getting it out of your life getting it out from anywhere around you you know verse 2 says as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious so if truly that we have, we have grace, we know grace, and we know what Jesus did on the cross for us. That when he went on the cross, he died to take everything away from If truly that you, you know this, you have tasted of the Lord, you've tasted his grace, then put all these things, lay them aside. And I said, all right, Lord. I have tasted grace and I know that you went on the cross to die for me and I know that you have taken away everything and when I was you know when when I was baptized that means I was crucified with Christ so I have tasted grace and Lord I'm going to surrender all this to you to show me where to do what to do show me where there is offense in my heart Show me where there is unforgiveness in my heart. Show me where there is malice in my heart. Show me where I have, you know, acted from anger in my heart. You know, anger is not a sin. What you do while you're angry, that's the, that's the sin. So I don't want when somebody raises their voice, you say, you, can, you are in sin. No, anger is an expression, outburst of it. And what you do when you are angry, that's where the issues are. So I said, God, show me. Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. 
But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when Lord, God, when, the, uh, when I saw that, I said, okay, God, maybe I can preach this message following grace. Because said, yes, Christ died to give us freedom. He died to set us free. He died so that we can live in, 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 you know, in total liberty. But if you've been set free, don't use your freedom in the way that puts you back into bondage. Because when we start having unforgiveness in our hearts against our brother, against our sisters, that's not loving them. And God said, when you come to the altar to present your tithes and offering, nowadays we put it in the envelope. So before you put it in the envelope to drop it in the bucket, the Bible never said, if you have something against somebody, uh-uh. He said, if you know, look at the higher accountability to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, we, I would have thought if, somebody, if I have something against somebody, I can just go and say sorry. But look at the higher expectation of Christ. He said, if you know someone has something against you, you go and sort it out before you put your envelope in the bucket. And unforgiveness, God says, is destroying his body. Unforgiveness is destroying his body. Because if we truly cannot love a brother and a sister in front of us, how dare I say I love God? Because I can see Mark, I can see Olive, I can see, you know, all of you. But God said, if, if I cannot love them, because when you are walking in unforgiveness, you are not loving. I don't care why you say God knows your heart. Because I'm coming to that. Because I asked the question. You know, when we say, God knows my heart, you know, so whatever I do doesn't really matter. Or whatever you think of me doesn't matter because God knows my heart. It can be true when your intentions are right and it comes out wrong. That's two totally different things. But when you said, I cannot forgive them at the moment, God knows that, you know, I'm working on it, but he knows my heart. But of course, you are free to do, th to do that. You have free will to walk in no forgiveness. You have free will to do anything you like. But if your freedom, just like Jess, ate that piece of steak, if it's costly to your brother or to your sister, God says, think about whether or not you truly 
have tasted grace. Truly know what it means for him to have died for you. He died so that it's easy for you to walk in forgiveness. He died so that it's so easy for you to love. So if by his death that brought you grace, gives you freedom, and you truly know that, is that freedom to walk in unforgiveness. I was reading in Galatians somewhere where it says that, you know, if you want to live under the law, you know, you are, you are cursed if you don't obey all the laws. But if you love God and you really, really love God and you truly, truly honor God, unforgiveness has no place in your heart. What else is there for us to lay aside? And this is a huge one. It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You know hypocrisy, um, I, you don't really know who your brother is or who your sister is because when they are in front of you, they are amazing. They are just so wonderful. So you truly don't know whether you've even offended them or not because it makes no difference when they are standing right in front of you. And that actually makes it so difficult for you to ask questions or wanting to reconcile because you don't know. And I never thought hypocrisy is a sin. I think it's just a character flaw, you know, something that, yeah, I'm not really a hypocrite, but I don't want, you know, what's the point? And we feel that when we truly laugh with them and joke, we are walking in love. That's no love because I made that excuse. Say, God, but I don't, it doesn't show in my action. Especially when it's not showing in your action. Because it's gone right down to your altar. In your heart. And when you are ready, you bring the sacrifice to it. You know, you, 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 you go there in your heart. You, you, you relieve the episode of when they did something wrong to you. But when you come in front of them. You're just acting normal. Just be yourself. Somebody, I mean, you know, like, I, I, that is something, the trait that I picked up in England. Actually not speaking when somebody is offended you. Because I've shut down enough time. Because sometimes people don't want to hear what they've done wrong. Because it, either it makes them less perfect. I, if, you, if you offend me, you know that you've offended me. But now I'm becoming who I'm not because people don't receive it very well. I tend to then keep quiet and then I get so quiet and then I'm really, you know, boiling inside because I can't tell them that they've done something because I don't want them. I don't want to maybe escalate it or what, but I really don't know how to handle it. I just become who I'm not and it's so uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. But I'm encouraging you today. You know, somebody offends you. Go and tell them. Go and tell them. Speak to them. Don't be a hypocrite because that's what, that's what I've been. I've not been myself. 
and I've said to God, God, I'm truly sorry because I cannot be a counterfeit Joyce. I can only be me. And truly, when I'm able to speak to say, look, look, I'm really, I don't like what you did to me. I'm so free and I forgive so easily. And I believe that that's how we've been wired up to be. Be like that. Take the plunge. Because his grace is sufficient for you to do that. I encourage you today. Don't be a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite. And I didn't enjoy being there. People come to me and say, oh, you're so quiet. I say, yeah, yeah, I can be quiet. What's your problem? You know, because if I can't be me, I don't know how to act. If I can't be me, I don't know how to act. I really pray and I have prayed for two weeks. Say, God, I really pray that we get this message, you know, the way that you've intended it to build us up. If you feel condemnation today, I just break it off you in the name of Jesus because he does not condemn. It's love, conviction, calling you to a higher place. So, and God says, you know, God spoke about this time because this time, I, you know, I'm so grateful being in faith life. Because we have a church that actually preached the word. And then if we go back home and actually read the word, because on Sunday you can't cover everything. I don't even know how I'm doing. How am I doing? Pardon? So, they preached the word. Because I was asking God, Okay, if the body of Christ is suffering from all these things, this unforgiveness, the malice, you know, the anger, this one that I'm living to the end because we really need to deal with that because it showed me different aspects of it that I didn't even know. So what is the solution? Because the Bible talk about this time like this, you know, we like, we see churches that preach, you know, you know, just you want your best you, you want your best to be your best life or whatever it is. You know, there's no need. God does not condemn anybody, which is true. But he does convict us. He does correct us. He does rebuke us. And he does it with his word. But just say God is so gracious. He's so loving. He's so kind that he doesn't see your sin. If you put yourself in a place where God will not see your sin he won't see it and that's under the blood and the cross but truly when you are in that place you have the grace not to sin amen so I'm just saying that if you truly love God and you truly have received what he's done for you you will be in that position where you think about him think about the cross before you act so yes, just God does cover our, you know, he doesn't see our sin because he sees us through the, the eyes of Jesus. Like I said, you know, so we are in that time when people no longer want to hear the truth. But the Bible say, even as much as God loves us, he didn't say you shall know his love. And his love shall set you free. 
Did he say that? The Bible says, you shall know the truth, which is in the person of Jesus, his word and everything he stood for. You shall know him. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And when you hear the truth of the word, quickly you say, Holy Spirit, help me to bring that, to make it a life application. Because he's about the business of setting us free, of calling us higher to that place. This year is the year of the overcomers. And we will overcome when we don't give the enemy a chance, when we don't give him a foothold into our lives, when we don't build an altar and worship him in our hearts by making our hearts plain to God. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he said, from such people, turn away. From such things, I like to say, turn away. I want to rush off so that we'll have time for ministry and for communion. So I said to God, what is the solution for these things? For us not to have all this altar in our heart. Because in ourselves, we cannot do it. If I say, well, you know what? I'm just going to make sure every time somebody offends me, I'm going to forgive them. Yeah, that's a choice we all need to make. But actually doing it <laughs> is, is another story. I've been there. I know it's hard. It's more difficult. Why is it so difficult? Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the one thing that God really was ministering to me about, the thing that he really wants to deal with in the body of Christ, is pride. You know, pride is so huge that we could be walking in it every day. We didn't even realize what we are doing. And God was talking to me about envy, jealousy, no spitefulness. And he said, they all has that root cause in pride. Pride is huge. Pride is, when I'm being corrected, it's how dare you speak to me like that. Anger comes from that place. How dare you? What is the how dare you? Comes from pride. It means I take a superior attitude. To somebody else. That's why we get angry. How dare you speak to me like that? And God saying to me, Joyce, if you are dead, have you seen a dead person getting angry? You don't, do you? If truly I'm, I'm humbled and, you know, dead with Christ. Pride. He says, Jealousy come from a place of pride I should, be ha- I should have what you have you don't deserve it, I do why is it always you? why is it always you? 
you have this and you have that. You have that. I should. And then we get angry. We get jealous. You know, that jealousy, you know, it's come, it's comes as, you know, when I was feeling it in my body, I'm thinking, oh, my God. I am actually really grateful that I think I've worked a bit on all the other stuff. I'm glad I actually don't have this one. But me saying that is pride. Right? I'm just declaring it. But I'm saying that God gives me the grace never to, you know, every time I feel that, take it away from me. Jealousy. It destroys the body of Christ. We cannot be happy for one another. I know sometimes it's not really because we don't want to be happy. I think, you know, God showed me this person and asked me to look at their character traits. Amazing, amazing, amazing woman of God. But there's this thing that if, for example, I am called to something, to do something, and it's going. And it's not that they don't want to be happy for me. I'm watching this as, as a slow moving picture. But instead of being happy, they remember what is not going well for them. And I will never have put that with pride, right? And, and thinking, because they cannot be truly happy for somebody who is doing something that they feel they're entitled to be doing. God wants to set us free today. It's not, you know, and sometimes we name them saying, oh, it's no, you know, they've had a lot of insecurity. Insecurity, God says to me, comes from a place of pride because you are self-focused. Wow. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I thought I've had it made in my Christian work. Pride, he wants to root it out. Especially in our church, let me focus on our church. He wants to root it out. Love is no love when it's faked. And if you have discernment, you know when somebody is not really happy for you. Well, I don't know about you. I know. And what that does is I then I put a wall up. And from putting that wall up, it, just, it starts with just one person. And then you put that wall up. And from that place, you are reacting to everybody else. And people don't know. And then you become, it becomes like a self-fulfilled prophecy. So you start off by saying, oh, you know, um, um, nobody wants me or you are insecure or whatever it is. But your character, your actions, the things that you do fulfills that. And today, God wants to heal us of that. It's a pride. Not esteeming other people above yourself. You know, if you alone can run a church, run your your home, run your, you know, be the boss at work and everything. God didn't have any need to create anybody else. Just have created you and let you get on with it. We all fit together, fit nicely in the body of Christ. And if I'm allowed to grow in what God has called me to, whether it's the eyes, the nose, the hands, or whatever it is, I'll be the best hands I can ever be. Let the eyes be the best eyes it can ever be. You know? 
And God wants to heal us of pride, things that we don't know. False humility. <laughs> you know, you can speak very quietly as much as you like. You can speak with it, but you can be as prideful as Satan himself. Oh, yes, no, glory. Somebody say, oh, yes, glory. Thank you so much. You know, you really, oh, wonderful glory to God. Can't do anything without God. That is true. But right now, you know you want that praise. We all do. You want the thank you, the well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. You know, you've done something. Great, accept it. I didn't re- you know, I just say, oh, because you think, oh, I don't want to take God's glory. No, you can never take God's glory because you aren't that good. Really? <laughs> False humility robs us and is prideful. And God wants to get rid of that today. There's so many aspects to it. Envy comes from a place of pride. Again, I deserve that. You don't. And you can't be truly happy for somebody who has worked hard. Really, you know, you don't know. You don't, you've not walked in their shoes. You only just see what they have. And if you are like me who goes to clearances, I go to clearances and look good. You can envy me if you say, oh yeah, she wants to say, but you know, I don't even go to sales. I don't go to the middle sales. I go to the clearance, you know. So when, when the rays are at the back, I like to look good, but I don't want to spend the money. But you can look at me sometimes and think, oh gosh, she's always shopping. She's got the money to shop. I ain't got the money to shop. You know, but I'm good at shopping, if that makes sense. I'm just using myself as a diaper just to make light of it. But we envy people because we want to deprive them for what is that's really what you are doing. And you don't think you worship all these things really, if they are not of God, they are of the devil. Simple. There's no in-between. It's black and white. And God is calling us up today. He's lifting up and we say, no, with all these things separate yourself free up your heart knock down the altars of bears in your heart knock down those altars where you go to worship those idols knock them off your heart free up your heart because I want to bless you this year God wants you to live your purpose you know the true meaning of success is living your life doing exactly what God has called you to do it's not money, it's not, you know, wealth, it's, you know, it's doing exactly what God has created you to do. If God does not want you to fulfill your purpose, why put it in your life? But you have a part to play. And that part, you know, like the song we sing, I surrender all. God, I want to live for you. I want to live a life that is worthy of you. And God, as I said, how do we, how do we get over these things? That's why I was thankful for faith life. And I'm speaking indirectly to Pastor Mark. He says, preach the word. Doing what you're doing. Preach the word. Preach the word. And you, church, read the word. 
Let the word saturate your heart. Preach the message of the cross. Read. Don't read about Jesus. Read him because he's in the scripture. And I'm so grateful and thankful that I'm in this church because we do preach the word. Just want to honor Mark for that. Honor you for preaching the word. No matter how difficult it is. No matter how unsavory it is. Paul said to me, he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desire, because they have itchy ears, and they heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and turn aside to feeble, fables. I don't know what that means. What does it mean? <laughs> Make believe stuff. But you be watchful in all things. Say, Pastor Mark, endure when people speak against you for speaking the word. I charge all of you in your place of work, endure when people speak against you for standing for what is right, for standing for the truth. And above all, let your life speak. Be quick to forgive. Be slow to anger. I'm still learning that one. When you have children, you have to say, God, oh Lord, help. Be slow to anger. <laughs> Catherine is not very pleased looking at me that way. Be slow to anger. Be quick to forgive. And the way we get out of it said, read the word. Study the word. Let the word, because those things, you know, I can share testimony after testimony when I hear the word of God exploding in my heart. With each explosion, some, one wall is knocked down. We were praying this morning and we sang it this morning and we sang it in the prayer. We said, you know, um, spirit break out, knock our walls down. These, those walls in our hearts, you need, to be, you need to be vulnerable. Pride, I cannot be vulnerable because I don't want people to use it against me. What would people think of me? Pride. And truly, if we have known the grace of God, he said, his grace is sufficient. The, way, the same way you have faith in your salvation is the same way you have faith in the grace of God to enable you to walk free. The grace does not keep you where you are. The grace pulls you up. And that's what God wants to do today. He asked me to do communion. I said, God, okay, so how do we do it? And I'll be listening and waiting to see how it's going to happen. But you know, if people have hurt you and they've wronged you and it's painful, I know. I walked in love forgiveness for 15 years. 15! I mean, 15 years. Who does that? Joyce did. Pardon? <laughs> 15 years and every time God says to me in the private I don't want to listen I said me what she did to me I mean me who is she to do that to me not the huge pride 
I used to suffer from migraine, terrible migraine. Every time I'm studying the scriptures, God said, you know, you need to forgive, you need to let go. And then eventually, because God loves me so much and his grace and his mercy reached down to me in the public meeting. Larry Lee came to London to minister in our church. And I stood in the prayer line because I wanted healing for the headache. Stood in the prayer line. I don't know. Have you, have you heard about of Larry Lee? Old, old guy. Man of prayer. And our church, we used to be a church of prayer. So we used to bring all these ministers from the States who pray. Stood in front wanting healing. And he prayed for this person. Pray for this one. Skip me. Pray for this person. Pray for this person. On his way back. Pray for this person. Skip me. You know. And, and I'm thinking, okay, what is wrong? And I'm thinking the problem must be huge. He's, he's kind of like walking up his muscle to pray for me. And then later on in the microphone, he said, well, God has been dealing with you, asking you to go. Are you working on forgiveness? And I wanted to whisper it to your ears. The Lord says, No. You need to forgive. And he mentioned the number of years. He said 15 years is long enough. If your own forgiveness would have taken away from, the, from that woman's life, by now, it should be gone. And these words came out of my mouth. Oh, well. I'd rather die of the headache than to forgive her. In front of the prayer line. I got home. Oh, God bless my husband. You know, in the summer, we used to pull the curtains because of the migraine. It was so bad. And I was shouting, oh, God, my head. You know, I used to take immigrate. There's like three in the, in the, in the box. Expensive stuff. But three tablets, 75 pounds. So I was crying, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then in the end, it was as if my head was going to explode. And I started praying, God. You know I cannot do it. Help me. Your grace is more than enough. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, your mercy, Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. to. You know, the reason we struggle to forgive is because we think we are the one doing the forgiveness. You don't have the power to forgive. Jesus does it. He does it. You ask him, forgive them. I choose to forgive them. So, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I prayed, really surrendered my heart, yielded my heart, and said, you know, because the headache was really, God took it a notch. He didn't cause the headache, but I confessed that, you know, I wanted to live with it. And then the Holy Spirit started walking on my heart. And the first thing I do at a great expense, invited this person over with children, cost us a lot of money to come and visit, sat on our dining table in London, you know, and I forgave totally. I didn't even realize I didn't have the headache. It was Les who reminded me to say, Joyce, do you realize it's summer? I said, yes, beautiful. You know, you know, she said, well, you don't have a headache. That was 1996 and I've never suffered from migraine. You know, guys, forgiveness is not about the people you forgive. It's about you. It's so much easier to love. I am free. I truly am free. It's easier to love than to hold malice. 
it's easier to be happy for somebody because if you rejoice with those who are rejoicing, things will happen in your life that will cause other people to rejoice with you. If you're struggling from jealousy, from envy, if you do keep malice, I used to be able to do it for weeks on end. The less, bring it on, you know. <laughs> Let's see who gives up first. Bless him, he used to give up first. But now, I, I, I can't do it. Can be quiet. Now I've learned the tactics. If I'm going to get angry, I'd rather remove myself from the situation and stick my iPhone in, my you know, earpiece in, and get God to walk through me. So I'm giving you, um, I'm giving you steps. Read the word. Remove yourself from a situation that will cause you to sin. Worship and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. We are a body. When a part of the body is sick, we are all sick. If you don't like me, tell me. No, truly, tell me. Just, I, don't, I don't like you for such and such a reason. So I said, okay, if it's something that I can work on, I'll work on. If not, I'll say, tough. Grow in patience. Grow in tolerance. <laughs> if I can't change that aspect of me that God has created, maybe God has put me in your life to grow you. Mark has grown me a lot. And now I love him to be and I've grown him. He's still long-suffering. <laughs> you know? You all are part of me. Let me be part of you. Let me be part of you. So how are we going to do communion? If any area that God is speaking about I know he's homing on um, um, oh, before I go to the communion I need to ask you You know, the other thing that the Holy Spirit really shared to me that that scripture of this Bible which is true it says guard your heart with due diligence from out of it flow issues of life another scripture says whatever you do comes from that place. Choose what you allow in. Choose what you allow in. Build an altar that is worthy of God's sacrifice. Knock down those altars so right now, if you want to knock down those altars from your heart, you need to speak directly to the Holy Spirit because he does it. Ask him to show you. And God revealed something to me about communion that is just blown my mind. So I'm going to take you back to last week when Patricia was talking about listening and hearing God. Because if you can't hear God, how do you know when he's actually correcting you? How do you know when he's drawing you to him? How do you know when he's speaking to 
you? How do you know when he's pulling out destiny from you? How do you know for him to say, turn right instead of left? How do you know that? And God was showed me something that I never saw in the Bible about communion. Because when we take communion, when I take communion, let me not presume that you were ignorant like me because you are all smarter than me. I will take communion if I'm sick or if I take communion, if I want to, you know, if I walk in unforgiveness, that reconciliation, you know, to, to somebody. And if I want to um, make sure my heart is in the right place, you know, I take communion. I know that, you know, for sickness or diseases or whatever. But I didn't know that communion was powerful for revelation. And it showed me in Luke chapter 24, verse 31. Remember those guys that were on the journey, the road to Emmaus? They were walking along the road and um, talking about what has happened. They've killed Jesus. They crucified him. Focusing on what they did. Forgetting what Jesus told them. What it was that he was going to die after three days was going to be resurrected. Just talking about just going, you know, complaining, blaming all those um, Pharisees. And Jesus joined them. And they were walking along, talking, teaching them in a way. And the Bible said when they get to where they were going, Jesus made as if he was going to pass them by. But they invited Jesus. And they sat down. Verse 31 said, when Jesus took the bread and they broke the bread, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened to see Jesus, to know Jesus. So, as you quietly pray, whatever it is that stirs your heart, And you reach the point where you think, yeah, I can go on and take the communion. You just stand up and take the communion and say, God, as I take this communion, open my eyes to see Jesus afresh. Open my eyes to see the cross and everything that Jesus died to give me. Open my eyes and my ears to hear what you're saying to me, to see what you're showing me, to see the directions that you are leading me, to see the hope that is in him, to see my future free, of all the junk to see clearly.